This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to Legal Talk Network and our show, Workers' Comp Matters. I'm your host, Alan Pierce. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts, with the law firm of Pierce, Pierce, and Napolitano. We represent injured workers and their families in workers' compensation and related cases. Today's show comes from the National Workers' Compensation and Disability Conference and Expo at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Las Vegas. One of the presentations which has generated a lot of interest is entitled, High Times in Workers' Compensation, the Impact of Medical Marijuana. My guests today are Jim Andrews and Albert Randall. Jim is the Executive Vice President of Pharmacy Services for Healthcare Solutions, the parent company of Cypress Care. He is a frequent industry speaker at conferences such as Workers' Comp Educational Conference, a variety of state workers' compensation, continuing legal education conferences, and has written and been quoted in several articles and clinical studies published in various pharmacy journals on topics relating to pharmacy and workers' compensation. Albert Randall is a principal of the law firm of Franklin and Prokopic. Bert concentrates his practice in the defense of employers and insurers in the defense of workers' compensation claims, tort liability, and so forth. He is a member of the National Defense Lawyers Network, and I want to welcome both Jim and Bert to Workers' Comp Matters. Let's start uh, with you, Jim. Uh, As a pharmacist, could you kind of define some terms for us. Many states have now adopted legalization of marijuana, either for recreational purposes and or medical purposes. Tell us about what is marijuana, how does it work, so we can get into its use or impact in workers' compensation. Yeah, Alan, so thank you very much. It's very nice to join you this afternoon. So when Bert and I were asked to do this presentation, it was we kind of thought it was a little amusing, but then we thought it would be nice a nice opportunity for us to provide some educational information to work comp professionals. So what is marijuana? So marijuana actually comes from an annual plant called cannabis, and cannabis is grown in a variety of different places, but like I said, it's an annual. And so there's only three plant species out there that are predominant. One is called sativa the other one is indica, and the other one is ruderalis. So, but indica and sativa are the ones that people are really buying when you go to a dispensary, say in Los Angeles or in Denver, Colorado. So what does that mean? It just means that it's a product today that is not manufactured in a pharmaceutical manufacturing way, but it's kind of grown and then harvested and used in a variety of ways, either to smoke it or ingest it to get the effects of marijuana. Now, I'm going to confess to you, I grew up in the 60s, and that's as far as my confession will go. However, my limited knowledge of marijuana, I never really thought of it much in a medical context. It seemed to have its origins, at least in terms of popularity, as uh, for its recreational uses. Although, over the years, I have seen firsthand and read about its truly useful effects for, for example, stimulating appetites for people perhaps having issues with chemotherapy and difficulty eating, or what I first heard about its use was for glaucoma issues uh, when people are having uh, vision or ophthalmological problems. Tell me a little bit about the use of marijuana in the medical setting. What does it do that is beneficial? 
Sure. So, Alan, a couple things to get started with. Number one, if you look at marijuana and those different varieties of plants that I talked about, some have a larger quantities or less quantities of two particular predominant metabolic issues from marijuana. One is THC and the other one is CBD. And if you look at what THC does for you in the body, it produces mood changes such as anxiety or depression. It may affect your cognition, so your IQ rates will go down over continued use, short-term memory loss, etc. When you start getting down into some of the side effects like increased appetite or analgesia, which is relief from pain, those are where the medical community is focusing on to see whether marijuana might truly be a solution that would be different than the narcotic opioids that are facing us today. So, Bert, I want to turn to you as a defense attorney. Do you find either in your own personal experience or your research in other states where marijuana has been legitimized or legalized for medical purposes that it's being compensated for by workers' comp insurers as a reasonable and necessary medical expense? It seems to be a mixed bag. Right now, we've got 20 states plus D.C. that have legalized it medically and a couple that have legalized it recreationally. And certainly employers and insurers are really skeptical and hesitant to fund what they might consider somebody's recreational habit or uh, an improper potential use. So they don't want to create necessarily any precedent, but with the laws, when there is a compensable claim and it's in a state where medicinal marijuana is available as a treatment remedy, so long as they are prescribed by licensed practitioners and healthcare providers, many states are going to find that that could be a compensable and legitimate, reasonably and necessary substance. So there are some concerns, though, with the fact that it's prohibited under federal law is it may be a legitimate treatment under state law, but then you've got extraneous issues such as Medicare Secondary Payor Act issues and submission of this type of treatment potentially for future care. And that's where some of the conflict happens between state and federal law. Although having, you know, sort of dealt into the Medicare uh, Secondary Payer Act and the uh, Center for Medicaid Services as a practitioner, I think the use of marijuana could be quite beneficial in trying to navigate through the murky waters of that process. Jim, you uh, talked very briefly about the analgesic effects. And again, I, I never thought of marijuana as being particularly a pain-relieving substance. Tell me both chemically, pharmaceutically, as well as in the real world, what does it do as compared to Tylenol with codeine or even if we get into the Oxycontins or the o- opioids? It's very interesting that narcotic opioids work in a different way than marijuana does. And marijuana actually, in most of the testing, limited testing that's out there, works on what we call neuropathic pain. So if you're familiar with the term fibromyalgia, that would be the conditions where marijuana has been in limited tests been shown to have some actually positive effects for patients. So if you look at Oxycontin, Oxycontin would not be prescribed for neuropathic pain. So you're almost looking at it's not the same pain. Someone asked me the other day, do you think a joint of marijuana would just replace an Oxycontin? It appears that depending on what type of pain you're experiencing, it would not. And aside from the joint, aside from the stuff you might sprinkle in brownies or sprinkle on your cornflakes, are there other ways of ingesting THC? There is. There's actually some legal ways of doing that. There's a couple of commercially available products on the market today. The first one is called Marinol, and the second one is called Sesamet. Are these universal or are these limited to the states where medical marijuana has been enacted? These are, and we'll talk a little bit about the Food Drug Administration and what their role is, but these are commercially available products that are available through prescriptions legitimately today. 
regardless of the state in which they're prescribed in. And is it considered a, a marijuana byproduct, or is it from the same plant? It is a synthetic marijuana, so it has the same THC values inside of those that you would have in a marijuana plant. Oh, is it in pill form? It's in a pill form, so and one of them is a spray. Does it make you high? You know, it doesn't have as much of the making you high stuff. It's kind of loaded for the things that are approaching uh, analgesia, so actually you might actually feel a little more depressed than actually high. And what are the uses for marijuana for glaucoma? How does it uh, work on the eye? There's three or four studies that are out that are very limited as far as what is used. And glaucoma is one of them because in glaucoma, you're trying to decrease the intraocular pressure, right? So there's been some limited studies that says and is demonstrated and widely appreciated that smoking your marijuana will lower your intraocular pressure, whether you have glaucoma or you don't have glaucoma. Have you had any experience with any workers' comp jurisdictions in the, at least the dialogue, if not debate, as to whether or not this will be a medical expense that will be covered? I do know that in the pharmacy side, since marijuana is not accepted as a drug, it's not a codified and licensed product, that today on the pharmacy benefit side, you would have trouble paying for that even if the ultimate buyer wanted to do that. So this would have to really go under the medical benefit side because of the way that we benefited. Bert, we were talking earlier, and I want to sort of get away from marijuana and its impact as a pain reliever or something that is palliative with respect to a work injury and whether that would be covered or not. But some of the other issues that the passage or the legalization of marijuana, medical or otherwise, might have in the workers' comp setting or the employment setting, not just the workers' comp. And some of these issues I'd like you to address, and I know we've talked about them. Sure. It creates a host of problems. The primary issue is that marijuana is still a prohibited substance under the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970. That's just the federal law that defines it as a controlled substance, as a Schedule One drug, and therefore is illegal from a federal perspective. Now, those 20 states plus D.C. that now have it decriminalized from a state perspective, at least medicinally, including recreational and those two, there is a dichotomy and an inherent conflict between what might be a, an allowable remedy under state law versus federal law. So while it may be a treatment issue or it's certainly something that can be utilized either potentially as a result of a work-related injury or a non-work-related injury, it still creates safety problems that employers are concerned about. And we're not just talking about one law here. We are talking about OSHA, an employer's general duty to provide a safe working environment. If they have people showing up to the workplace high or otherwise impaired in a way as that they cannot operate safely, machinery, motor vehicles, tractor trailers, whatever it might be, is a concern you've got uh, for instance, federal contractors, which required to maintain drug-free workplaces. You've got potential tort and common law liability for negligent hiring, negligent retention, and just otherwise negligence and people that are impaired operating vehicles. And then you've got the Americans with Disabilities Act. As it turns out, employers are obviously hesitant to have people that may be impaired working. And in every state or federal court that's really addressed this issue nationally, regardless of the states that have permitted the medicinal marijuana purposes, employers' right to discipline or and up to including termination of these employees have been upheld. So while it may be decriminalized and permissible from a medical perspective in all of these states, from an employer's right of controlling their workplace, generally speaking, they're allowed to terminate these individuals. And I think we will take a brief break and we will be 
back in a few moments to continue our discussion about medical marijuana in the workplace. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Well, welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters, where we are having a very interesting discussion about the implications of marijuana in the workplace, both in terms of treatment and who pays for it, as well as for other issues that surround the workforce that may be ingesting or taking marijuana for any number of medical issues. Jim, let me turn to you. One of the other hot topics, wherever you go in a workers' compensation uh, seminar or conference such as this, you can't not have a panel discussion about chronic pain or, more particularly, the problem of long-term use or even significant short-term use of opioids or other type of addicting or addictive substances. How does marijuana, even though it may differ significantly pharmacologically and other ways chemically from opioids, what are the parallels or what are the distinctions you see in the issues that surround managing chronic pain? So, Alan, there's probably three things. One is today, at least the average injured worker and consumer in America can be assured that the drugs that are being dispensed in the pharmacy and given to the injured worker have oversight from the federal government. The Food Drug Administration has a very prescriptive process for making sure that a drug is both safe and effective. And it's significant that marijuana has undergone none of the extensive testing that the commercially available products have today. So that's number one. Number two, one of the things that we see with drug and alcohol and marijuana ingestion is that folks that have what we call addictive personalities react the same way regardless of the drug. So the good thing about opioids today in the last two years is there's medically evidenced guidelines. There's there's a lot of stakeholders that are involved from the federal government to the local government to the physicians to medical oversight and medically evidence-based products. So I think the pendulum around narcotic opioids is swinging the other way, and there's a lot of education. As opposed to marijuana, where people are really from kind of a groundswell are kind of holding up marijuana as being the solution. And, you know, we, there's no advocation for safety. There's no assurance to the injured worker that they're getting the same product over and over. There's no quality assurance with that. And it's very important to know that the average joint when it's smoked and there's a lot of different words for it, but actually if you're smoking in a cigarette form, that the pain relief effect only lasts 15 to 20 minutes. So if you're in 24-hour, round-the-clock pain, you could conceivably be smoking a pack or more of marijuana cigarettes a day. And about three marijuana cigarettes is equal to a pack of regular cigarettes when it comes to the effects it has on the lungs and emphysema and COPD. So there's a myriad of safety issues involved with using marijuana that have not been answered today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to the debates and the controversies that swirled around marijuana from the 60s forward about its addictive properties or non-addictive properties or the dependency issues and non-dependency issues, what can you say uh, to speak to that issue? Well, there's a couple of facts, Alan, that's out there. It's kind of indisputable. So number one is 
the marijuana that was initiated into the American culture in 1960s and the marijuana that's out there today is significantly different. Through advances in agronomy, et cetera, the THC quantities and percentages have gone up tenfold since the 60s, right? So it's a much more potent product today than it used to be. And the other pieces that you were addressing is that there's no guidelines around how to administer that. And if you have addictive personalities, it's been shown that up to 9% of the people who use marijuana cigarettes on a regular basis are addicted to marijuana. So the myth that there is no, that you can walk away from marijuana whenever you want to is really that. It's a myth. So Acapulco Gold ain't what it used to be. No, in fact, Kiwi Green is probably better than any of the others right now. So. <laughs> and, you know, Bert, turning back to you and the legal side of things, one of the sub-areas of workers' comp is the so-called intoxication defense. And there's a wide body of case law, some of it codified in statute, other simply by case law as to the ability of an insurance carrier to defend against an injury that occurs when the claimant, the injured party, is found to have a substance in his system, be it cocaine, marijuana, alcohol, or uh, heroin, or any of these other uh, addictive and impairment-related drugs. How does this fit into the debate now where marijuana is, is legal in some states or certainly legal medicinally in some states? It poses a couple of problems. There are two basic camps that the states generally fall into when it comes to an intoxication defense. One is that certain states refer directly to the Federal Controlled Substances Act. And being a controlled substance, if a person is on marijuana or is found to be impaired due to marijuana usage, just simply by being a violation of federal law, that is enough to sustain an intoxication defense. Other states, however, have carve-outs for those types of treatments that are at the recommendation or at the prescription of a healthcare provider. So in those states, if the marijuana usage, even if it creates an impairment, is in a state such that there is the carve out for being a lawful prescription from a healthcare provider, then there would be no intoxication defense. And then I think there probably is a third subcategory is where there may have been an impairment, but it had nothing to do with the happening of the accident. Somebody could be impaired and, you know, a barrel falls off and hits the impaired guy and the unimpaired guy. The impairment didn't have anything to do with the accident. So Exactly. And that's where I go straight to that's the proof problem and the evidentiary issue. And that's where the testing is deficient in some ways, unlike alcohol, where you can extrapolate what the person's blood alcohol level was and what the impairment was likely to be at the time of an accident. With marijuana usage, that's nearly impossible to do. Even if you are able to establish that the impairment, however, was sufficient to cause some problems at the time of an accident, then it becomes a proof issue as to whether or not the accident was caused by that. One of my favorite anecdotes in this was a gentleman by the name of Brock Hopkins, who several years ago sustained an injury while working at Great Bear Adventure in Montana. He had gone ahead and smoked marijuana before going to work as a grizzly bear attendant. While there... I see nothing good happening from this, by the way. (laughs) Mr. Hopkins had a very unfortunate day, uh, and he was mauled by a grizzly bear. And what I found amusing was that the Montana courts that addressed this found that his actions in smoking marijuana prior to working with grizzly bears was mind-boggling stupid, to say the least. Nonetheless, they found that bears were, quote-unquote, equal opportunity maulers, and that therefore the smoking of the marijuana had absolutely nothing to do with him being mauled that day. Whether or not factually that's true or not is perhaps indifferent. Question of proof, but I can understand. But that goes exactly to what you were mentioning, is that simply by virtue of the fact that he was probably impaired that day, 
didn't have any impact ultimately on his on-the-job injury, and therefore the intoxication defense failed. Well, I think we can all agree this is a developing area of an already interesting and intriguing law uh, of workers' compensation, and the use of marijuana in a medical setting certainly does nothing but add to our body of knowledge and concerns. So I want to thank you for being with us. I want to thank Jim Andrews for your expertise and Bert Randall as well. And I want to thank you for joining with us today. And for those of you listening, thank you and see you at our next show. Thanks for listening to Workers' Cop Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.